We're working through Nehemiah in the mornings, and we are talking about rebuilding. It's time to rebuild. And um, we're on Nehemiah chapter 4 this morning, and I'm going to read you the chapter um, just to let you know what's happening. Nehemiah chapter 4. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what are they build? What they are building, if even a fox climbed up on it, it would break down their wall of stones. Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is much rubble. There's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. And then the Jews who lived near them came and told us, 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. And therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords and spears and bows. And after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we returned to the wall, each to his own work. And from that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears and shields and bows and armor. And the officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. And those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked, but the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. And then I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there, our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. And at that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and workmen by day. Neither I, nor my brothers, nor my men, nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapons, even when we went for water. <laughs> so Nehemiah has arrived in Jerusalem 
He, he's got the support of the king, remember, Artaxerxes, who has said, yeah, you can go, Nehemiah, you can rebuild. He was even given an armed guard by the foreign king to travel with him through the enemy territories to get him back to Jerusalem safely. And he even got letters off the king to say that he could go and get supplies uh, from the king's forests to get the wood that they needed, the timber to rebuild the temple and the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. So Nehemiah has been given permission by Artaxerxes. He's been given protection and he's been given provision. He has prayed, as we remember these last few weeks, he's prepared, he has planned, he's thought through what he's going to do. He surveyed the city when he got there and he did a full survey and he saw what needed doing and he planned out and worked out what needed to happen and he shared the vision of what needed to happen with the people. And so he's organized the work, he's got everyone working on their section as we considered last week um, and the work is progressing. Nehemiah has gotten over so many hurdles to get to this point. He, he's, there are so many points that he could have failed at or that the king could have said, no, you can't go, or the king could have had him killed for trying to even go, or so many things could have happened, but he is where he is, and the work is now uh, kicking in. He has shown real leadership, and he's shown real vision uh, throughout this time, and he can now sit back and watch the fruits of his efforts. He can relax and watch the wall being built before his very eyes. This is what we've been waiting for. It's been a tumultuous season, several months of hard work and, and difficulty and emotional turmoil and ups and downs. But now Nehemiah sits in his director's chair and he's listening to the slurp and the scrape of cement being applied and bricks being laid. There's a rhythmic hammering and sewing. The people are whistling as they work. They occasionally burst into song. The women dance. All is well with the world. It's an Israeli musical. Jerusalem, the epic. As the people start to rebuild. If only life and leadership were like that. <laughs> It'd be great. But it isn't. Whenever, whenever we seek to build God's kingdom... Whenever we seek to rebuild the walls, to move forward as God's people, whenever you seek to live your life according to God's plan and negotiate change and move forward, you will face times of difficulty and despair and discouragement and even being despised. And Nehemiah and the people of God are in line with God's will. They are doing what God wanted them to do. They are they are fulfilling God's plan for their lives. He is leading in line with God's plan. And as part of that, they still face discouragement. They still face intimidation and opposition and criticism and threat. And we read in verses 1 to 3 uh, here of what happened when they started to rebuild. It wasn't that great musical where you just... People whistled and sang as they worked, and the people were dancing, and it was all just wonderful. It wasn't like that. When Sanballat heard they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry. He was incensed. He was greatly incensed. And he was, he was more incensed because he knew that they had the backing of Artaxerxes, the king, who had previously banned this work. 
He sees that they have negotiated their way around that and that now the work is going ahead. Jerusalem is being rebuilt and he is angry. And so he, he can't stop them. He can't stop them. They've got the political backing of the foreign king. And so he ridicules them. He ridicules the Jews. And in, in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, the threat of lethal force, he says, what are these feeble Jews doing? He mocks them. He intimidates them. He undermines them. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? It's by inference, of course, they won't. They're not going to succeed in what they're trying to do here. Will they offer sacrifices again in their temple? No, of course they won't. Will they finish in a day? Can they bring these stones back to life from these heaps of rubble? Burned as they are. And then Tobiah, who's standing by his side, joins in. He was at his side. What are they building? If even a fox climbs up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. Charles Swindle wrote a little book about Nehemiah. It's called Hand Me Another Brick. And he wrote in that book, he said, unpleasant though it may sound, you haven't really led until you have become familiar with the stinging barbs of the critic. Good leaders must have thick skin. And God's will did not allow the wall to be built without opposition. And there was Sambalat and Tobiah was at his side. Critics often run with critics. And theirs was a mixture of anger and mockery and sarcasm and intimidation and threats. But the people carried on building and Nehemiah persisted. But then even then, the criticism didn't cease, but it intensified and the opposition intensified. And so even though they carried on and they ignored these threats, we read on in verse 7, but when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. And so the threat increased. Theodore Roosevelt gave a speech to the Hamilton Club in 1899 in Chicago. The president, the future president of the United States, you may have heard this quote, but he says, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. And so Nehemiah and the people of God face fierce criticism and opposition from without and fear 
and frustration and fatigue from within. We read on in verses 10 to 12, meanwhile the people in Judah, that's their own people, Nehemiah's own people, said the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there's so much rubble that we can't rebuild the wall. And also our enemies said, before they know it and see us, we will be right there among them and they will kill them and put an end to the work. And then the Jews, some other Jews who lived near to these enemies came and told us, Nehemiah said, they told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. It's not very encouraging, is it? it if you look at what's happening here as they're rebuilding the wall, as they're halfway, they've got, they've got opposition from without. They've got, they've got the Jews that live locally that are listening to the enemy and the threats of the enemy. They're going to attack us. And then you've got the people getting tired and fatigued and weary as they're halfway there and they're, they're tired out. There's a, there's a loss of vision and there's a, a loss of strength and they feel like they feel like giving in. There's so much rubble. There's so much rubbish. We can't keep building. There's just too much stuff. We can't, we can't move forward, Nehemiah. Uh, I've been watching the um, Alex Polizzi's program, uh, Hotel Nightmare, where she and her mother buy an old hotel and, and do it up. And um, it's a mammoth task. They put millions of pounds into this project to to knock down and rebuild a hotel. And um, you, you follow them through three programs and pretty much halfway through, they say, we wish we'd never started. We wish we'd never started this project. There's just, there's just so much. And the more, the more we do, the more we need to do. And the more we strip off the plaster and the more we see how rotten the wood is and how the beams need replacing and, and problem after problem after problem. And, and she goes around, <laughs> Alex Polizzi, just overcome by this kind of, this rubble, this mess. And what have we done? Halfway, they're halfway. And at halfway time, the discouragement sets in. And the fatigue and the, what have we done? What, there's so much stuff. There's so much rubbish. Have you, ever, have you ever been there where you're kind of halfway through a project? Have you noticed at home when you need to do a room and you, you need to modernize it or or decorate it. It always has to get a lot worse before it gets better. If you notice that, when you're tidying a room out or you're redecorating, you have to clear everything out and before you, before you know it, there's complete and utter chaos and mess everywhere. You think it's worse than when I started. And of course, to make an omelet, you always have to crack a few eggs, don't you? And there is fear, there is fear among the people and they are listening to their enemies. And even his associates, Nehemiah's associates, are coming to him and they're saying, he says, they told us 10 times over. They just kept coming back and telling us again and again and again. They're going to they're gonna get us. <laughs> they're all gathering. They're plotting. They, they're going to attack us, Nehemiah. They, they were the quintessential kind of speakers of doom. We're doomed. We're all doomed. As they looked at the surroundings and they looked at their enemies. And Charles Swindle says, you, you cannot constantly hear negativism without having some of it rub off on you. And he also says, if you are prone to discouragement, you can't run the risk of spending a lot of your time with people who traffic 
in discouraging information. Look at Nehemiah. And look at the stage of his leadership and, and building the walls of Jerusalem. Threats from without. Discouragement and fear and fatigue from within. Tobias and Sanballat and Co. telling him that the wall will never be rebuilt. And the people of Judah and the nearby Jews saying over and over, the enemy is going to overrun us. We're not going to make it. On the 30th of December 1941, Churchill addressed a nation that was very fearful. And he spoke to the House of Commons. And he said on that date, at the end of 41, when things were looking so bad, he said, when I warned the French that Britain would fight on alone, whatever they did, their generals told their prime minister and his divided cabinet, in three weeks, England will have her neck wrung like a chicken. Some chicken, some neck, said Churchill, as he spoke to parliament. Some chicken, some neck. What do you do when you face criticism? What do you do when you face discouragement? What do you do when you face fatigue or loss of vision, the rubble, the fear, the frustration and the failure? What do you do when you're halfway and you feel like giving up? Well, what did Nehemiah do in this perfect storm as he sought to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, as he sought to follow God's call through this maelstrom of opposition? The first thing that we see that he did was that he prayed. Sometimes we relegate prayer to the last resort, don't we? We say, well, there's nothing else that we can do except pray. We've done everything else, so I guess we'll have to pray. <laughs> we relegate prayer to the act of last resort. We've tried everything else, so we better pray. But what Nehemiah did was he prayed first. It's the first response. It's the first thing he did. He has a high theology of God. Uh, when, when, we, when we are self-dependent and, and dependent on ourselves to solve problems or work through difficulties or lead through crises and we rely totally on ourselves, it shows that we have a very low theology of God and a very high theology of self-dependence, that we're going to sort this out. But Nehemiah had a very high view of God and a very low view of himself. And so when he hears these criticisms and when he faces this opposition and when he sees the discouragement of his own people, he says in verses 4 and 5, hear us, O God. Hear us, O God. He, he starts to pray. He starts to pray an imprecatory prayer where he says, Lord, please deal with this opposition. Lord, please deal with these critics. Lord, please deal with uh, the ones that are attacking the building of your kingdom and these walls. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Don't cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. And so Nehemiah prays and he prays to God. And then in, in verse 8 and 9, as, as the opposition intensifies and the criticism intensifies, he prays again. But we prayed, verse 9, to our God. But we prayed and we posted a guard day and night to meet 
the threat. He says this, he says, hear us, O God, for we are despised. Just listen, God, to what they're saying. We're despised by these people. They hate us. And God, hear us. Answer our prayers. We sing a song, uh, what a friend we have in Jesus. And there's a few lines in there. It says, are we weak and heavy laden? Are we cumbered with a load of care? Precious Saviour, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou will find a solace there. It's such a nice song that it sings so easily. What a friend we have in Jesus. It, it trips off the tongue. Andy's strumming away on his guitar with his smiley face. <laughs> it's so nice. What a friend we have in Jesus. Do your friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. I've found, like with a lot of these songs, they're a lot easier to sing than they are to live. <laughs> when we are despised, when we are forsaken, when we have to take it to the Lord in prayer, I found often when push comes to shove, I want to rewrite those words. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? I have a few alternative endings in my head to that song. And you have too, if you're honest. You've had those conversations in your head where you want to say what you want to say. You've rehearsed that response. You've wanted that revenge. You've wanted to fight. You've wanted to defend. But what Nehemiah does and what that song speaks of says, take it to the Lord in prayer. What was David's response when he stood against Goliath and Goliath spat out insults at him and said, well, you're a piece of dirt on my shoe. What are you doing here, you little kid? Is this the best that Israel has got? And as he spits out these insults at David and the people of Israel, you know, David could have got really angry and he did get righteously angry. But David's response in that moment was, the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands, Goliath. And what was Daniel's response when the edict came through that the people had to bow down to the image of Nebuchadnezzar and the graven image, and it's like, you can't worship your God anymore, now you have to worship our God, our false God. What was Daniel's response? Daniel's response was he slipped upstairs and back onto his knees and he prayed. And the very first thing that ought to result, and doesn't always, from criticism, because some criticism is justified and some of it is not. And as, as uh, Charles Swindle writes in this book, you have to differentiate between the two. You have to know when to listen to criticism and you have to know when to ignore it. And uh, Nehemiah had to discern that too. But the very first thing that you ought to do when you are criticized or when you face these troubles is pray. You are never more successful than when you are on your knees in prayer. And this project of Nehemiah's was birthed in prayer. We read that in chapter one, where his response when he heard from Hanani and he heard about Jerusalem, his response was to pray. His response uh, as he approached 
the king to ask for permission to go to Jerusalem was to pray. And his response now, as he's halfway through and facing meltdown, is to pray. God, hear us. God, answer us. God, deal with the opposition. God, help us. Because the people are discouraged and the people are fatigued and there's so much rubbish and there's so much rubble and there's so much opposition and there's real threat. And so he prayed. And you see, Tobias made a crucial mistake in verse 3 when he spoke up, Tobiah. And he said the Ammonite who was at the side of Sambalat, who joined in, what they are building, if even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. You see, Tobiah's mistake was, he said it's their wall that they are building. But it wasn't their wall. It wasn't the Israelites' wall. It wasn't Nehemiah's wall. This was God's project. This was God's building. This was God's plan. And what Tobiah did was speak out against what God had planned. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. See, the building of God's church is his great plan of history and nothing will prevail against the building of God's kingdom and the advance of his purposes. And David, Pastor David Barrister, he's on holiday at the moment, but his advice to me over the years has been wise advice. He said, whenever I face criticism over the years in ministry, Jeff, if it's been personal to me, I, I haven't let it overly bother me. But if it has stopped the work of the church or the kingdom, then it bothers me. <laughs> then it's wrong. And, and we must see what Jesus said and what Tobiah made the mistake of, of saying here is this is their project, it's their wall, and it's going to fail. But when we're building God's kingdom, when we're in his purposes, when we're doing what he's called us to do, we can know, we can know that God will build his church and that gates of hell will not prevail against it. If people oppose the work of God, then that is a different matter. So the first response that Nehemiah did was he prayed. And then the second thing was he persisted. There's a great line here in verse 6. When you, you read this kind of long list of what Tobiah is saying and what Sambalat is saying and how the armies are lining up and how all of this opposition is in place. And then you read in verse 6, so we rebuilt the wall. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. And then you read, as you read on through the chapter and you read the ongoing kind of flack that the people are getting and the ongoing troubles and the ongoing discouragement and the fatigue and all of that. And then you read in verse 21, so we continued the work. So we rebuilt the wall. We continued the work. They persisted. Keep mixing the mortar, Nehemiah said, and hand me another brick. You know, critics demoralize, but leaders encourage. And nothing excites Satan or the critic more than when their negativism results in a slowdown of progress. But we are to stay at the task. Don't give up. Keep building. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He who started the work will be faithful to complete it in you. These are the lines of a song by Steve Green. If the struggle you're facing is slowly replacing your hope with despair. 
or the process is long and you're losing your song in the night, you can be sure that the Lord has his hand on you, safe and secure. He will never abandon you. You are his treasure and he finds his pleasure in you. You know, God hasn't finished with you yet. You can keep on keeping on. Halfway is often discouraging. That we are not to be overcome by evil, but we are to overcome evil with good. Keep building, keep going. In this perfect storm, that's what Nehemiah did. He tells, uh, Charles Swindle tells a story in his book of Thomas Edison, you know, the inventor of the light bulb and the battery and many other inventions that he invented. And um, his son, Thomas Edison's son, recalls a freezing December night in 1914. It was at a time where Edison had been doing many unfruitful experiments in trying to create this new battery that he was trying to invent. His dad had um, developed and, and given almost 10 years of his life to, trying to, to try to perfect this invention. And he was on a, on a financial tightrope. He, he was on the edge of financial ruin as he tried to overcome the obstacles and the hurdles of trying to uh, perfect this battery. The, the only reason he was still solvent was because he'd had some success with his movie and record production. And then came this December evening in 1914 and there was a cry of fire. And it echoed through the plant and spontaneous combustion had broken out in the film room and within minutes, all of the celluloid for the records and the films and all of the flammable goods were in flames and fire companies from eight surrounding towns arrived, but the heat was so intense that the attempt to douse the flames was futile and everything was destroyed. And when he couldn't find his father, the son became concerned. Was he safe with all of his assets going up in a whoosh? Would his spirit be broken? He was 67 at the time, so no age to start all over again. And then in the distance, young Edison saw his father in the plant yard running towards him. Where's mum? shouted the inventor. Go get her. Tell her to hurry up and bring her friends. They'll never see a fire like this again. And early the next morning, long before dawn, with the fire barely under control, Edison called his employees together, made an incredible announcement. We are rebuilding. And he told them to lease all the machine shops in the area and to obtain a, a wrecking crane. And then almost as an afterthought, he said, oh, by the way, does anyone know where we can get some money? Out of that disaster, Edison said, we are rebuilding. We are rebuilding. And that's what Nehemiah said. And so we rebuilt the wall. And so we continue to build. And so we continue, hand me another brick. We're going to keep building God's kingdom. And that's what he did. He persisted and he kept going and he did what he was called to do. And that is what we are called to do. We are called to act justly to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God, to keep building in whatever area of leadership you exercise. When you yourself are discouraged, when you yourself are fearful, when you yourself are despairing, when your associates and your friends speak discouragement because they are discouraged, they look around and the, the enemies are too many. They told us 10 times over that they were going to fail, but um, they kept building. The third thing that 
Nehemiah did was he, he took practical steps as well. He prayed. He, he did pray, but he, in that verse it says we prayed and we posted a guard on the wall in verses 8 and 9. And in verses 13 and 16, uh, you, you read of Nehemiah's very kind of practical leadership. I, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places. I, I posted them by families with their swords and their spears and their bows. In verse 16, from that day on, half of the men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears and shields and bows and armor. And the officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah. We prayed and we posted a guard. We saw the exposed places and we strengthened those areas. And sometimes we have to take practical steps, decisive action. We pray, we focus on God, we seek his wisdom, but then we need to act. Maybe you're, you're stuck in a job situation that is very precarious or difficult. It may be that you've been praying about that and praying about your job prospects and, and praying about the future. But it may be as well that you need to take some practical steps. You may need to retrain or you may need to explore the job market or you may need to upskill or whatever it is. In certain areas of our lives, we may need to take very practical steps and show practical leadership and, and show decisive action. And that's what Nehemiah did. He posted the guard. He made sure the people worked with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. And then he said, and he gave them the rallying cry. He said, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord and fight. Remember the Lord is on our side and fight. God will fight for us. There was faith in action with Nehemiah. Faith has legs. Faith results in works. Faith, as explained in James, is, is it's outworked. It's got legs on it. It's hard work sometimes. We read here that they worked from the moment of dawn until the stars came out at night. He said, we didn't even take our clothes off. We worked and we worked and we worked. We worked really hard. We worked from early morning until late at night. And we persevered. And we were so busy, we didn't even have time to change our clothes. And I wouldn't let the guys leave the city. They slept at night in the city so they could defend us. And then I got the trumpeter ready and I said, because we were stretched out doing all this work, they said, if we give the rallying cry on the trumpet, come and join us to fight. Faith in action. Nehemiah strengthening the people, reorganizing, putting people in charge, closing the gaps and the vulnerable places, rallying, encouraging, and slowly and surely and continually the work progressed and the wall was rebuilt. And finally, yes, we need to, <coughs> we need to pray. <clears throat> Always and first and foremost, we need to persist, take practical steps. But as we've said in previous weeks, partner with God. There's, um, there's a verse here in verse 4, or in, um, in verse 2. Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring these stones back to life from these heaps of rubble, burned as they are? I remember as a teenager hearing someone preach on that verse, speaking about the burned stones of Jerusalem. It must have been a really good sermon because I can remember it now 30, 40 years later. I don't remember who it was. I don't remember much else of what they said, but I remember them going on about these burned stones. 
and how God can take bone stones and build them back into something greater. And when we partner with God, as Nehemiah did, the question was, from the enemies of God, could God use these burned stones to build a wall and a temple for his glory? And the answer is unequivocally, yes, he can. God can take us as we are, burned as we are, messed up as we are, full of rubble as the situation is, full of rubbish. God can take that and he can rebuild it. Because Nehemiah says, the Lord will do this. The Lord will fight for us. The Lord will help us. Pink Floyd used to sing that we are just another brick in the wall. But we are another brick in God's wall. And what we reflected on last week was that, as Peter wrote, you are coming to Christ. And he's the, he's the cornerstone of this building. He's the one that holds it all together of God's temple. And he was rejected by people. But he was chosen by God for great honor. And you, Peter says, you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. God is going to take you as living stones and, and he's going to take Christ as the cornerstone. Christ who was rejected and he's going to build something beautiful in his time. And when we partner with God, God can take up the messed up and the, and the broken and the burned. And people whose lives seem ruined. And God can take those stones and carefully place them in his building, in his wall, in his construction project. And we are all burned stones. We all of us are damaged goods. But God wants to build something with us. He wants to build a place where he lives and dwells amongst us. He wants to build not a temple in Jerusalem, but a spiritual temple. A place where God's people gather and where God's people are used and God's people are built together so that his kingdom can be established. And when that is happening, nothing will stop that work. Nothing will stop that building work of God. That's what Jesus promised. He said, I'm going to build my church and nothing will stop it. And this is not my church. This is not because I'm the pastor. This is not my church. Sometimes people who are on the fringes of the church or not that involved, they say, your church, either me individually or your church collectively, your church. This is not my church. This is not even our church. <laughs> this is Christ's church. This is Christ's building. And this Plymouth Christian Centre is just one of those outposts, <laughs> along with all the other Bible-preaching, gospel-proclaiming churches, where God is establishing his kingdom. And God bless St. Matthias as they do that. And God bless St. Andrews as they do that, and Central Methodist. And every other church in this great city of Plymouth and beyond, where the gospel is preached and Christ is proclaimed, then strength to their arm and God bless every pastor and every vicar and every leader and every people. But it's not our church. It's not my church. It's Christ's church. It's his people. It's his building. And the promise of Peter is that we are being built together as living stones. 
And God will dwell there and God will work. And it's not about people. It's about, it's about the enemy of our souls. We have an enemy who wants to frustrate this work, who wants to tear down these walls, who wants to whisper in, an ear, in our ear, if a fox climbed up on that building, it would fall down. You are not going to succeed. Who wants to whisper in your ear when you are downhearted and challenged in your personal circumstances? You're going to fail. Who wants to sow fear into your life and frustration and failure? Say, so you're not going to make it. It's too hard. There's too much rubbish. You're too burned. And God says, I will build my church. <laughs> you will prevail. And so we persist, but we partner with God. And Nehemiah, as he stands up, he says, remember the Lord. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord. Look to him. Yeah. I was so heartened by our worship today as we did just that. We looked to God. We looked to Christ. He is doing what he will do. We need to align ourselves with his plan and his purposes. Remember, when we're halfway, we can get tired. It's not the start. It's easy to start things. It's not even near the finish because near the finish, you've got the euphoria of the finishing line and the promise of finishing. It's, it's the halfway point. You just get tired. You think, why did we start this? We'll never finish it. But God says, be strong and very courageous. And he is with us. So let's pray. Lord, I pray um, for the discouraged today who've lost courage. I pray for the disheartened who've lost heart. I pray for those who've lost hope. I pray, Lord, for those who have lost strength. I pray for those who've lost vision. I pray for those who look around them and see rubble and rubbish and burned stones. I pray for those who see enemies around them, who feel fear in their hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen our hearts and our arms. I pray, Lord, we take up a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. I pray, Lord, that we build in our sections and we'd encourage one another. And when we hear the trumpet call, we would support one another and strengthen one another and encourage one another. I pray, Lord God, that you would build your church. And I pray, Lord, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Lord, as we come out of these COVID times and we seek to rebuild, Lord, and restore and regroup and strengthen again, Lord, Lord, it can be challenging and difficult, but we pray, Lord, that you would encourage our hearts, that we would remember the Lord and that you are on our side. And we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for every church, every gathering of your people across this city. We pray for every leader 
of every church. We pray for every congregation. We pray, Lord, that you will strengthen them, strengthen their walls, strengthen their gates, O oh God. Lord, because we want to proclaim your kingdom and preach your gospel, and we want to tell people about Jesus and see people saved. And so we pray, Lord, that we will keep on building and keep on keeping on. In Jesus' name, amen.